Hi everyone, I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief with the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and the IAFC President in 2017 to 2018. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now a Chief Executive Officer of Emergency Services Consulting International, or as we like to go by, ESCI. And this is the iChiefs Podcast. If you're searching for new ideas, looking to improve your leadership skills, and wanting to make a difference within your organization, this is the podcast for you. We encourage you to join us as we engage with fire service leaders who discuss the challenges and opportunities facing you and your agency. Well, today's topic should be a shock to nobody, and that's the wildfire situation we face here in this country and really probably even worldwide. Uh, It's every year um, for anybody who's been on the job for any amount of time that it seems like uh, we're watching the news and we're learning of a new largest ever wildfire. Or we watch uh, just a few months ago uh, what seemed to be the entire West Coast burning. And so it's an important topic, not just for those fire chiefs that work in wildfire prone areas, but also those fire chiefs that, that may be a little accustomed to it not being their problem. I think we've got a lot to learn today. And so I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to, to visit with our guest um, and uh, Sheldon. Uh, would you like to introduce him? Yeah, Tom, thank you. And it's an honor to be on this call today. I know I was uh, a California-raised um, firefighter and a fire chief in California and sat on the Fire Scope Board of Directors and, and um, was involved in a number of task forces after 2008 or 2006, rather, firestorms down there. And so this is an important topic. And when I left in 2013, it's only gotten worse. And so we're we're honored and privileged today to be joined by Chief Litzenberg, who is the former uh, fire chief of the city of Santa Fe, uh, and he currently serves as the fire chief in the uh, Santa Fe County. Uh, he's got extensive wildland experience. He serves as the uh, committee chair for the IAFC uh, Wildland Fire Policy Committee, and he's also an IAFC representative on the National Wildland Leadership Council. So. Chief Litzenberg, we're honored that you're here with us today, and uh, you bring a great wealth of knowledge and a lot of policy experience and involvement, and uh, I hope it will be very helpful to our listeners as we continue to struggle with this ever-increasing wildland and urban interface fire problem. So maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about your experience with wildfire through through your career. Sure. Uh, Thanks for the introduction. I'd, I'd be glad to to talk um, a little bit about myself, but more about the wildland problem. And and I'll cross my fingers with you guys that I can live up to the expectations um, set up by that intro. (laughs) You guys, you you did a good job of the intro, but now I've got to try to do my best to fill in the gaps. Um, So as you said, I am, uh, I'm currently the chief of the Santa Fe County Fire Department in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, And while you might not see the the same problems in New Mexico and Santa Fe as we have definitely seen um, pretty much every year through many of our lives um, uh, portrayed in the media um, in California mostly. We we certainly have the problem in Santa Fe, New Mexico as well. And as we'll we'll probably talk about uh, over the next time, we we really have it across the nation and and across the, the world and all continents at this point. Um, but getting getting to uh, a little bit about me and my background, um, I did grow up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and did experience what was, uh, to a much smaller degree, the wildland fire uh, situation in the 70s and the 80s. Um, 
in the 90s, I went to Colorado, to the University of Colorado, and actually studied human physiology. Came back to Santa Fe to go to med school and uh, never made it. Instead, I joined the fire service. Uh, and when I joined the fire service, I started as a volunteer in a pretty rural part of Santa Fe County uh, in what was then one of the 15 county fire departments, which has now been consolidated into a single fire department with 14 districts. Uh, and the area that I lived in, which is where my family lived and where I grew up, uh, was what people probably would recognize as, as a wildland area, and the terminology has now become the wildland urban interface, or a bunch of different ways to say the same thing. But it's, it's the area where homes are intermixed in the forest. Um, so that's where I started uh, my career in the fire service. And naturally, a department like that, you not only saw the structural uh, fire issue, but you also saw that there was a wildland fire issue. And it's just something that we knew we had to deal with. Uh, it being largely private land, we knew that the Forest Service probably wasn't likely to want to put their trucks all over that land, so we knew we had to figure out how to fight wildland fire, and that's where that's where my career started. Like many departments, it's uh, the Santa Fe County, then the Hondo uh, Fire Department, um, is an all-risk agency that does structure fire, and in our case, wildland fire, and all kinds of rescue, and cuts people out of cars, and does the EMS, and all the above, and just one of those things we did was wildland fire. Uh, through my career, um, like you guys said in the intro, I actually moved over to the city fire department. And while city does not necessarily imply a wildland issue here in, in Santa Fe, and I know as we see in a lot of the, the media coverage that we see in California, a lot of the cities do extend into that wildland urban interface. City of Santa Fe is one of them. We had a pretty robust uh, mitigation or prevention program that helped home homeowners build homes and, and landscape their properties and, and build their uh, developments in ways that was a little bit more capable of surviving fire. And over the years that I was there, we also built a pretty robust wildland program that um, prepares people to to be trained and, and equipped to go out and fight fires, not just in Santa Fe and not just in the state of New Mexico, but all over the country. And um, I'm sure we'll talk about it some, but the country's response system is, is now becoming a much more robust system that has um, membership from all levels of government, like like the city of Santa Fe, like the state of New Mexico, state of California, and then, of course, federal-level resources. So um, throughout my years in the city, I learned all about how to uh, help build the program, what makes a good responder, what makes a safe community. And then late in my career, I've moved back out to the county, and I've been helping them through some of those transitions as well. So a little bit of experience with Wildland, and I look forward to sharing some of that experience with you all today. Thanks, Chief. That's a that's a great, vast, and and kind of a, um, a complex uh, history that that really gives you a lot of great uh, avenues to understand this fire problem. Yeah. So, maybe maybe we start with what's happening. Why is the severity and the season and the complexity of these fires changing? And and uh, what what are the contributing factors? Is it is it all just climate? Is it, is it other things? Um, can, maybe you can add a little element on how are we managing the forests and the wildland interface areas and. What's, yeah. what's the problem? Yeah, Sheldon, that is a really good question, and it is a really hard question to try to answer without being very political and triggering people one way or the other. Climate and climate change is just one of those things that makes people clam up. And so I'll avoid, to the extent that I can, the political or opinion aspect of that and just give a very technical response, which is, whether you want to consider it, quote-unquote, climate change and what exactly 
um, has caused those changes, things are statistically hotter and drier than they have been in the past. And it really, it doesn't matter where you look, um, you, you'll see that that, that trend is happening. Um, I think if you just look in the recent months uh, here in New Mexico and across the United States, the the number of just extraordinarily hot days this year into in, in comparison to any past year um, was pretty much mind blowing, and and more than that, those long extended periods of heat with just less moisture, whether it's precipitation in the form of rain or in the form of snow. It leads our forests and our brush and, and whatever natural fuels that you have to a much drier state. And so, yes, definitively, statistically, things are hotter or drier in both, hotter and drier than they've been uh, in any of our past comparison years. Um, so that's one component. It's the climate. There, there are other components as well. Um, there are differing ideas on how to manage forests. Um, and again, another political issue, there are some people that believe in timber harvesting. There are some people who believe that that's a destructive thing. But it tends uh, over time to lead to a discussion which changes how we're managing our forests. And if you look at any, any natural landscape, whether it's a brush landscape, a grass landscape, or a forested landscape, there's a natural cycle in which the, the fuels, as we call it, the, the things that can burn um, are supposed to burn or they're supposed to be removed from that landscape so that they can grow again. And we have sort of disrupted those cycles with how we're looking at forest management and our sensitivity around whether it's grazing, whether it's use of prescribed fire, fire or whether it's timber harvesting. And we've disrupted those cycles. And so we've ended up in some cases with unhealthy landscapes. Um, and in many cases, we've just simply ended up with overgrown landscapes. So when fire ends up on any of those landscapes, it tends to be more severe and more destru destructive. Um, so item, item one was the climate. Item two is um, how we're managing our forests. And then item three is the people. And that is we just have a trend. For a long time, the trend was urbanization. And cities were getting bigger and buildings were skyrocketing and you know, the growth was happening in cities. Um, but for a number of decades, there's been a bigger trend towards uh, getting out and living in the country and developments that exist in, in um, otherwise forested or previously forested areas and how we've been building those developments and how we've been building those homes are not necessarily in ways that um, make them safe and well-established in those forests to, to prevent um, large-scale emergencies. So the combination of those three things, really has us with a more explosive wildland urban interface and wildland environment that we had in the past. And I know growing up in um, in Santa Fe, like I said, in, in the 70s and the 80s, and I guess probably my memories are more around the 80s, I could probably count on a single hand. And I live in where I live in this valley in New Mexico. Um, you know, I, I can see on good days 100 miles away and across a couple different canyons, I can see all the way over to Los Alamos, which is where the, the Manhattan Project um, was hatched. And uh, so I have a pretty good view, and I can count on one hand the number of fires that I saw probably in that entire decade that were of significance. Um, and then throughout the 90s um, and into the early 2000s, the, the number and the size of the fire, the fires, they were growing. Um, a lot of people remember the Sarah Grande fire, which actually burned part of Los Alamos, 
So I watched that come up, and then about 10 years later, another significant fire um, over in Los Alamos called, called Las Conchas. And throughout the years, in, in particular in the last 10 years, um, there are you know one or two hands worth of fires within eyeshot of my house every year. So it went from one a decade to you know a, a half dozen or a dozen every year that are worthy of note. So again, however, however you um, w- whatever you attribute it to or whoever you count it, things have changed, and we see it locally in those places that are more fire prone. We see it nationally and internationally in places like California and the media. And, of course, we watch um, what happens in Australia, but there are other places where it's occurring, too. So it's definitely a national and international problem. And something's changed, and I don't think you have to be either trained or an expert to recognize that. Well, it seems to me like you have a really good handle on it. And that didn't surprise me with the background that Evan Wildfire, but, you know, as a as more of a structural fire chief with very, very limited uh, wildland experience, I know that um, – I know that in my time in Oklahoma for a lot of my career, we had what I thought were at the time big fires uh, in that landscape that were hundreds of acres. And in the time I've been in Arkansas okay. for 12 years, and the time I've been here, those hundred you know plus acre fires are their chump change now. You know, I mean, there, there's now you have thousands of acres and square miles, yeah. and it. So you're right. It's a complex interplay. It's likely not one particular problem. It's all of the above. I think you you said that well. Um, I know that one of the things that I was not aware of, and when I think of our listeners as members of our association for the most part, not exclusively, but a lot of them, I had a very poor understanding of the work of the Wildland Fire Policy Committee. And, uh, and, and, and of course, you also serve not just as the chair of that committee within the IAFC, but as Sheldon mentioned, you're the you're on the wildland fire leadership committee which is composed of eight federal and eight non-federal individuals representatives of organizations you know i think it might be good for our our listeners to know you know what does what does the iafc do for wildfire what are we involved in what kind of influence do we have at the table with all these national level partners Man, you know, you guys, Tom and, and Sheldon, you both really do ask questions to get down to the mix and what is important to a fire chief, what I'd want to know as a fire chief. Um, and I'll work into that answer um, sort of slowly, Tom, because you, you brought out some things that I think are important to say. Um, so as I get around in, in the role as IFC Wildland Fire Policy Committee Chair, or even as a member, even just as a fire chief, um, most places I go will, will say, and most fire chiefs and most firefighters will say, hey, man, you know, one of two things. They'll say, wildland fire, is, it's not really our issue. Or they'll say, man, it never felt like it was our issue, but we're starting to see that it is. So that recognition that you had um, growing up as a, a firefighter in Oklahoma or once you moved over to Arkansas, it's something that's happening all over the place. And as I get out and about and and do educational and, and you know, learning going on both ways, either either me speaking to people or me just sitting around in groups and learning myself. Um, it, it's really a cool thing to start to point out to people that wildland fire, it really does exist everywhere. And there's this concept that's emerged over the last, oh, I'd say 10 years called open space island. I mean, you can think of those natural areas within your communities that are probably surrounded by highways and, and buildings and whatnot, but 
um, they are they are natural. Some of them are forested, some of them are grasslands, and even those open space islands, you know, if given the wrong set of conditions, um, we have we have urban interface problems and wildland problems in those open space islands. The classic example of an open space island that everybody recognizes is um, Central Park in New York City. But every every area has something like that, and there are a surprising number of communities that have had larger scale effects in their communities um, because of small incidents on these, on these open space islands or, or in larger areas of um, wildland or interface that now abut their communities. So it really is everywhere, man. And if you look at the, the emergence of this problem, I mean, gosh, we, we watch, I'll keep saying it because we all do watch it, but we watch what happens in California in 2018, the campfire. I mean, the, the destructive nature of that, it's pretty impossible not to to pay attention to whether you're looking at acres or what it did to the, to the community of of paradise and surrounding communities or just plain and simply the the loss of life associated with that. But that's not an independent independent incident. I think the largest fire in the history of our country is going on right now because of the the convergence of a number of of larger fires um, in Northern California and the Northwest and the three largest fires in Colorado history just happened over the last month so you know it's it's everywhere and if firefighters and fire chiefs haven't had that recognition yet um they're they they're going to or they need to really open their eyes and and accept that it's a new reality but the good news is there are a lot of really smart people who are thinking of these issues and how to solve them together and um, in those areas, California, the Pacific Northwest, the Southwest, Australia, those areas where these fires have been part of the truth for a while, there are some really engaged organizations and really engaged researchers, um, et cetera, et cetera, who are putting their minds together and, uh, and seeing what we can do to solve the problem. So getting specifically to your question, um, yeah, so one of the roles that I get to do uh, as, as part of the Wildland Fire Policy Committee is sit uh, in one of the seats of the Wildland Fire Leadership Council, which is a cross-organizational national level um, group that is tasked with doing just that, putting their minds together and figuring out how to solve this issue collaboratively. And the issue solving on a large scale is no different than the issue solving on a small scale. And for anybody who's been to any of these fires, um, you know, it really is a team effort, and you'll see members of local government, you'll see members of, of both city and county, of state government, of federal government, you'll see nonprofit organizations that are showing up to feed people and to move animals, and you'll see business and, and technologies that are going on to support these efforts. It's exactly the same uh, around the solutions to the problem and problem solving and thinking through you know, how do we address this situation in the long term. The Wildland Fire Leadership Council uh, is one of those groups, and IFC, through our Fire Policy Committee, has a seat on that. It's um, one of the places, sort of the top level of the government, where that discussion happens, uh, and you get everybody in the same place and say, what is the problem, how do we define the problem, and what are the solutions? And then everybody gets to go off into their organizations and figure out what part of that solution do they own, and then how do they uh, make impact to, to changing the results. The IFC should feel pretty proud to have a seat at that table. We are the, uh, the one of the few local government representatives, so it gives us a real a good voice, but it also gives us a, a strong piece of that solution, which, of course, local fire departments really should have. We should have ownership 
of our solution. Um, more than the Wildland Fire Leadership Council, the, the IFC Fire Policy Committee in general um, does a bunch uh, to, to represent local government, to represent local fire chiefs. Um, often we're, we're working on issues of government affairs, whether it's creating policy that goes to legislatures at the state or the federal level, whether it's working with campaigns to try to get them to understand the message that uh, a local government might think is important around the wildland fire issue, or whether it's writing white, uh, white papers and policy papers. We try to have our fingers on the pulse of legislative affairs and, and what it might mean for a, an elected official to carry some sort of policy to its end, and ultimately how would that policy impact our fire departments and our communities. So we do a lot of that government affairs work. Uh, we do help IFC with some of the programs that are run. A couple of those are the uh, the Ready, Set, Go program, which um, helps to make um, fire departments and communities more fire adapted and be ready for the wildland fire issue. Uh, and through through the IFC programs, we, we do the, uh, the WUI Reno conference, which unfortunately this year got canceled. Uh, excuse me, it didn't get canceled. It got delayed. It was supposed to be in March, and uh, now it's it's later in this week virtually. Um, and then it hopefully, we're crossing our fingers, is uh, going to be live again in March of 2021 in Reno, but a great great place for everybody to get together and, again, share ideas and, and look at each other across the table and, and get some good learning sessions. Um, and in general, the IFC Wildland Fire Policy just works to represent the local fire chief. Um, through a number of fashions. One is the Wildland Fire Leadership Council we just talked about. We do work with NWCG, the National Wildfire Coordinating Group, uh, which sets standards on training and equipping and qualification for our members so that if we're pumping resources into the national response system, they're all operating under the same um, guidelines. Uh, we do representation with the National State Association of State Foresters. So and a lot of what we do is just making sure that our voice is heard in the right places. And then once a plan is put into place, um, we understand what part of that we own, and, and we help fire chiefs carry that to its finish. So I'm pretty proud of the work that, um, that I've done over a little bit over a decade with the Fire Policy Committee. I know there's a lot of really engaging people who are involved in that committee, and, and I would think and I would hope that uh, even those who don't feel the direct impact of what that committee does, that fire chiefs feel both well represented and well served by the work that's done by, by our group and by IFC. That's, that's great stuff, Chief, and that's a comprehensive toolbox that our, our membership can go to and, and, and be a part of and pay attention to and give them a lot of great stuff as it relates to mitigation and prevention and response and recovery, all of all elements. Um, but I wanted to, to, to quickly see if I could get you to emphasize or talk a little bit about um, the actual response to these to these incidents of national consequence. I remember back in the day when I was in California during the firestorm and during the 2006 San Diego firestorms, and we would we would use the uh, interstate mutual aid system and the mutual aid net system, and they were a little clunky and a little slow in the EMAC system to get this interstate mutual aid going. But but the uh, the ISC has stepped up over the last few years, uh, several years, and, and really taking it to the next level through the national mutual aid system. And now I'm a resident of Texas, no longer living in California, and I see us sending units through that system uh, to California for, for what's going on there recently down in Orange County and, and then in Northern California, too. So um, can you talk a little bit about what NMAS is and, and how the IFC is taking that to the next level, and that's such a important tool 
in this intrastate mutual aid. Yeah. Yeah, sure can. So, so you, you jumped out of the pot and into the fryer with Wildland if you went from California to Texas. Hey, so uh, you certainly weren't trying to change that part of your life. Um, yeah, NMAS, the, the mutual aid system, it's important. Um, you know, if I've always tried to, tried to picture um, you know, coming up through the ranks, what is a better way that we can get the right resources um, to these fires, no matter what it is, whether it's an EMS incident, whether it's a structure fire, or whether it's these pretty complex, sometimes large wildland fires, fires how do you get the best resource there? And, man, I, I think all of us intuitively know when we sit in our seats, there are other resources that are avail, available for this dot, dot, dot. And locally, you definitely see it with the advent of um, automatic vehicle locator, AVL systems that are they're pretty much the standard or the norm in most um, more urban kind of environments. And I think they're extending into suburban and, and rural environments as well. But you know, a dispatcher can look at a map in, in your jurisdiction and every resource out there represents is represented by a dot on that map. And if you've got a caller of the 911 system who says, you know, I'm at the crossroads of this road and that road, they can look at that map and they can easily identify what dot is closest to that call and make it happen. And, and like I said, I think that AVL system, I know it's been working relatively well in the Santa Fe area, and I know it's become the norm in most urban environments. And really, NMAS is, uh, is a way that IFC has been champ championing to essentially do that on a larger scale. And if you do grow it to a larger scale, there's two things that are important. One is finding ways to grab those resources that you want, just like we last explained. And the other part of the system is how do you input those systems even in there to begin with so that they show up as a dot. In the wildland system, we've been using a, a, a sort of, to be honest, sort of archaic system um, that probably worked relatively well for all of the federal resources for decades and decades and decades. Um, it was called the Ross system, and it really was a roadmap to you. And you went in and you explained, here is what I bring to the table. Here is the specific classes that I've had to make sure that I qualify for this level. And then I plot myself in that system. And when... A, a large-scale fire is uh, is grabbing resources. They theoretically can look at a list of resources who have that qualification. If you're one of them, they can grab you and they can plop you onto that fire, and then the old-school gears happen behind it to make sure that you've got a resource order that makes sure you're going to be appropriately reimbursed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was the raw system that existed for decades, and they've been replacing that with something called IROC in, in recent years. But it's still, just to be honest, quite clunky. It's a little difficult to use if you haven't used it all the time. And NMAS has been this system, again, that IFC is championing that um, hopefully is a much more modern way of doing many of the same things, but with a lot more trinkets and gadgets so that those of us who are a little bit more technologically advanced I do not fall into that category, but I think the vast majority of people that I work with do. Um, they're able to just be more resourceful than we are now. And, again, if you, if you look towards just normal human intuition, um, on my phone right now I can pull up myself. I can say I need a ride from here to Albuquerque, New Mexico, or here to L.A. or whatever I want to do, and essentially a whole bunch of people are going to bid on that service. And Uber does it now, as, as does Lyft and a bunch of apps. I mean, that, 
there's no reason that similar technologies can't be used for resource gathering for all of our all of our incidents, all of our emergencies, um, but primarily around those really resource heavy incidents like a large scale wildland fire, wildland or urban interface. Um, and and it, and to try to summarize it, it really does um, that whole system depends on local jurisdictions being willing to do that front-end work, which is to put their resources into the system. And a couple states are doing a fantastic job of doing that and piloting it for the rest of us. And I think over the years it's really going to emerge as the best solution nationally. And I think it's probably going to replace a lot of, of, the, of those systems that I call the clunky old systems. But NMAS, great, great work on that. It's got a ton of promise. I'm really jealous of you all in Texas and the places that are using it, um, but I think we'll all be – continuing to jump on board as, as that project grows. Well, I appreciate that, Eric. Um, so, you know, kind of in closing up here, we try to keep these at about this time frame, and there's a whole lot of questions left to ask you because it's just, it's a it's an evolving and a very dynamic topic. But something that's always kind of struck with me as somebody who considers themselves maybe not a structural firefighter anymore, but a structural fire chief, is that uh, I was in I was in Rogers and we had an IASC board meeting here, and Keith Bryant, the former fire chief of Oklahoma City, who's now our fire administrator, as you know, was there as a guest, and it took me back a little bit that he said the fire problem in America today is it's wildfire. You've seen this on both sides, but I think that we're kind of pigeonholing you in this interview as a wildland expert, but really most of your career, as you talked about, is that of a structural firefighter. I knew you, I've known you for a long time, but I remember when I met you in the EFO program years and years ago that you didn't fancy yourself a wildland expert, but you become somebody that's looked upon as a resource. So when you hear, as somebody who's gone through a metamorphosis yourself and learned as you went, when you hear the U.S. fire administrators say that that the fire problem problem in, to, in today's world, in today's in, in our nation, is wildfire. What's your reaction to that? Do you agree? Disagree? What do you think? So um, I will absolutely agree, and I've been very appreciative of Keith Bryant, who's become a friend of mine over the years for many reasons. Um, one is because I, I really do appreciate and agree with that statement. And two is just because he's a super person and such a good advocate and resource for all of us. But yeah, I, I agree with him 100%. And he and I have had the, the pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure for me. I hope it's been a pleasure for him. It's been a pleasure for me to work with him on numerous occasions um, because of that statement. And I, I guess it's best if I just say it, because of that statement, I've had the chance to work with him. Um, and he and I, for a number of years, have been looking at you know, this guiding document that a lot of us saw um, that was really related to structural fires, and it's called America Burning from the 1970s, a couple iterations since, but the really impactful one was from the 1970s, and it was America Burning. And it focused on the issue of, of people who were dying, bad statistics around mostly built environment fires as those buildings were getting larger and that urbanization was happening. And again, everybody sort of like wildland fire leadership council, everybody got at the same table and put their heads together and said, what is this problem? How do we fix it? And what part do I own? And of course our statistics got way better. Fires went down in number. They went down in size and, and our fire deaths dropped drastically. Um, so in working with, um, with Keith Bryant over the years and looking at America burning from the 1970s and, 
and how do we have that kind of impact now? It was important for him to really get behind the idea that wildland urban interface, it really is America's fire problem now. And that doesn't take away from the fact that, um, you know, if, if we're dealing with an all-risk environment like most of us are, there's still massive impacts of structural fires. There's still massive impacts from um, just EMS and, and the number of, uh, the, the large number of EMS incidents that happen in our communities and the impact they have on our system. So it doesn't mean that it's the only issue, but you can't really turn a blind eye to the fact that most of what you see on the news is related to these large-scale wildland urban interface problems. It's most of the community destruction we get. It's a large number of deaths every year. Um, and even the side effects of wildland fire, whether it's um, the smoke issues or whether it's the movement of populations and where investments are happening in communities, they're significant and they're worthy of note. I'm strongly appreciative of, of Keith Bryant's statement of that. And, and again, going back to the beginning of this answer, I couldn't agree more, more wholeheartedly. Um, and I do want to say, Tom, you're, you're totally right. Um, when you and I met, I did not fancy myself a wildland expert. I'll be honest, I, I still don't, but I think I'm one of the quote-unquote structural fire chiefs who's really trying to take this issue on and trying to help be part of the solution. Um, and it's been an absolute honor to, to learn along with everybody as, as all of our communities have emerged and started to accept this and have everybody look at me or somebody look at me every now and then and say, hey, man, you might have something crafty to say. Why don't you go ahead and say it, and we'll see, we'll see what worth it has. So thanks for calling me the expert. Um, I, I think there's some pretty good experts out there, and maybe one day you guys can have, a, have that expert on your, uh, your podcast as well. Well, I don't know that they come much more diverse than you. So uh, as somebody who I, I call a good friend, and I've known for a long time, you're well-spoken, you're a great advocate, and you've made a difference. I know that uh, a lot of changes for you in the future, but it's important for our listeners to know that uh, at the head of the table, making sure that, that we're involved in conversations as, as fire chiefs, has been Fire Chief Eric Litzenberg for a number of years now, as a member of the Wildland Fire Policy Committee, as the chair of it. Um, and so, so thanks on the behalf of our association. You've done great work. And as we close thanks, up today, you're welcome. Uh, besides, <laughs> well, thanks. And as we close up today and say thank you to Eric and, and, and that sort of thing, I also want to make sure to highlight for our listeners where they can go to learn more. First of all is uh, I would remind them to take a look, if you're not familiar already, at the IAFC's Ready, Set, Go program. And you can find that information and a plethora of other information about WUI and the wildfire problem in our country by visiting IAFC.org slash wildland. And also, while we are conducting uh, right now as we're recording, basically, uh, a virtual uh, wildland urban interface conference, our hope is that we'll be back on a regular in-person conference schedule in the near future. And, and I know that as somebody who's attended a lot of fire conferences in my time, that one of the most energizing and informative is the WUI conference. And that information is available at IAFC.org slash WUI. So thank you all for joining us today, listening to our expert, Chief Litzenberg. Good luck out there in New Mexico. Stay healthy and stay safe. On the behalf of Sheldon and I, thank you uh, to all of our listeners that joined us today. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for this iChiefs podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Spotify. 
where you can subscribe and be sure to never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next month.